Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How are we doing? I'm well. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm not going to moan about all my aches and pains, <laughs> apart from my aches and pains. <laughs> getting old, getting old. Yeah, everything's good. Um, busy old week. I've been up in Edinburgh, riding my bike out, doing a recce for a route for a challenge that I'm doing in October. I've been up in Glasgow the next day, then I was down in London yesterday. Oh, blimey. Um, and I'm up to Loch Lomond this weekend for a weekend of bike riding and eating and having some fun times. So yeah, LeBlanc are doing an event up there at Cameron House. So oh, cool. Yeah. Celebrity chef Nathan Outlaw's doing all the oh, yeah. the um the fish and what's well, is, it, is it is it more eating than cycling or it's it's whatever you want it to be. It's okay, called, okay. They, they call it joy riding. So that's the, oh, nice. that's the the emphasis is on enjoying yourself and you can go as far or as short as you want. Have you done it and, have you done it before or uh, yeah, similar, we do, we've yeah. done them. They've done one in Isle of Wight, then one in Dumfries, oh, nice. one in Aberfeldy, one at Silverstone. We did a kind of half day of cycling, half day of track driving. Um, how's how's yeah. the weather? How's the weather looking? Do you know what? I'm not going to jinx it, but it's not looking too bad. I think <laughs> yeah, we were expecting it to be horrendous, and it's actually looking all right. So, okay, that's good. Yeah, quite excited. What about um, yourself? What have you been up to? Nothing actually, just sort of ticking over. Sort of been back at home, uh, popped up to London for the day, but other for work. But other than that, very little. Yeah, just ticking over. Had a over. haircut. Had a haircut. Look, looking looking sharp. Amazingly, my family never <laughs> notice when I get my haircut. And it's ter- my hair my hair's normally massive by the end. I finally get it cut. <laughs> I mean, I think the dog notices, but that's about it. But um, well, I I had a sort of beard during lockdown, and or for basically for about eighteen months, and then decided one day I'd had enough of this big gingery beard, and I shaved it off. And my wife didn't notice. And my kids, like, <laughs> my kids were like, "Daddy, have you shaved your beard?" And she didn't clock like, yeah, it at all. And and she looked around and she goes, "Oh yeah, so you have." <laughs> like, I don't really know how to take that, to be honest. Um, don't be so, offended. Be offended. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I was going to say, we we're wanting people to. Um, send in their sporting misadventures so actually mm. we, we put it out on on social media on our handles on instagram and twitter and we've had a few funny ones i won't i won't do them yet there's some actual belters but if some people oh, are cool. listening if they can send them into sporting misadventures at gmail.com the more calamitous the better and we will i think alternate and take turns next time round and, and read some out without cracking up but there, there are a couple of crackers one involves you loosely but not Oh really? Yeah, without giving too much away, but you're sort of <laughs> loosely involved without being involved. Um, but yeah, I think I'll struggle to read one of them through to the end. Um, if it's that, that. But if, yeah, if people could send those through, that'd be great because people nice seem one. to have had plenty of sporting calamities themselves. So it's uh, yeah, and we can have anonymous as well if it's embarrassing. Yes, you don't. You don't, have to, you, you don't, you, you don't give us your name. You can just be, you know. See, most people like to be named and shamed. As far as I can work out, mm. they're very proud of their sporting calamity, or quite often it's. My friend told me. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Asking for a friend, yes. Yeah, so, so there's a few of those, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that from next week onwards. Hopefully. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good. 
So who have we got on today? So Miles Jupp is coming on today, and I'm mm. very excited. I think I say this each time. I'm very excited about who's coming on, and my wife takes the mickey out of me each time. Going, we got, we got, we got a good one this week. She's like, we said last week, the week <laughs> as before. opposed to the rubbish ones we've had so far. But he's he's yeah. ama- he's amazing at what he's yeah. done because I remember him as when the kids were tiny on Balamori, for example, mm-hmm. on Eight Out of Ten Cats. He's great on TV, radio, theatre, um, and he's got a podcast which I love. Now, you won't necessarily, because it's cricket, I don't know, that's necessarily, not necessarily your sporting love, but Middle Please Umpire is more than just, I think, a cricket podcast. I just think of it so funny with him and Mark Wood, the England fast bowler, and Miles Jupp has one of those laughs that sets me off every time as well, that sort of, that sort of giggle. So hopefully we manage to um, unleash that giggle today. I think he's, he's definitely one of the, the short list of people that when you see our guests on Would I Lie to You?, yeah, you're like like you know Bob Mortimer, Miles Jupp. There's they're like, well, I've got to I've got to see this episode because <laughs> he is he is brilliant on that show. Um, but yeah, he's he, and he's an, it's amazing when you look through his his Wikipedia and, and all the different shows that he's been in over the years. Um, it's extraordinary, yeah, very talented mix, isn't guy. It? Yeah, he is, and yeah, yeah he, he's. I mean, obviously, stand up background. That's you know stand up comedy background, and then comedy acting and yeah writing and everything he's been uh, he's been involved in so many things over the last 20 odd years but he's coming back with a stand-up show next year he hasn't done one for a few years but i think he's got one from january but i might have that wrong but he'll, he'll let us know but uh, which would be cool. great um, to see him coming coming back doing that again yeah hi miles hi chris hi matt how are you both yeah very well hi. how are you yeah good thank you thanks so much for joining us no, We're very no, excited. Well, very excited great. to Thank have you. Isn't life um, strange? I find I just I, well, I just had lunch with my wife, and then we finished. She said, "What are you going to do now?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to going to have a big make a big cup of coffee, and then do a podcast with Chris Hoy." And she went, "What?" Just having twenty twelve. What what will life yeah. look like in eleven years' time? Yeah. yeah, sitting in the back bedroom. I mean, I'm glad you can't see my view out here because it's absolute chaos in this room here. Just now, but um, yeah, wedged into the back corner of the back bedroom, sitting, talking into a laptop. You know, you're it's... probably someone that doesn't have an exercise bike that they don't use in their back bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> a clo- a clothes it. hanger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, the... thank you, thanks so much for joining us. And it's, um, yeah, we're we are we always say this, I mean, we're always excited to have guests on, and, and we've been very lucky to have um, some, some fairly big names in the comedy world, but we are genuinely chuffed and excited to have you on so thank you oh, for giving up true. giving Very up this it's three hours you were told it's three hours yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i was yeah. told yeah, yeah i was yeah. told it was longer than the super bowl excellent <laughs> i was listening to the one the one with my friend greg McHugh. i started listening to ah. but then he kept talking about having all this acting work so i found it depressing <laughs> <laughs> but you've, you've been on gary tank commander haven't you, you yeah played... i played um captain fanshawe it was um which i did this I, I, they, I went and filmed the scene, and then they, I, I was asked to go back and refilm the day of the filming I'd done, and I had no idea why. And it turned out I genuinely, massively misjudged it. It was a guy in the script who would sort of say a word, and then there'd be loads of dots, and then he's lots of uh, ums. And I'd only seen a sort of highly satirical, quite dark version of Gary Tank Commander, uh, and so I thought, why does he do this? It must be he must have like shell shock or something uh, and just be like throwing absolute whiteies and continually having that traumatic flashbacks 
nobody said otherwise so i just did the filming and then they got touched a week later and they were like yeah you, you just sort of looked absolutely haunted during it what were you doing and keep I it said, light miles keep it light yeah i was like what was i meant to do and you're going well he's just sort of like you he just sort of mumbles a bit and you can't really hear him i was like oh i see so <laughs> came back and reshot the whole scenes going uh hello chaps now uh yes uh understood yeah and that's all I had to do. So I never really had to learn any lines for it. I just had to remember when at some point I had to sort of jump forward and go, now, uh, we all, super. Uh, and that's, that's sort of all I, all I did in it. Yeah, I, I met Greg when he was a, but a, well, he must have been like just a sort of young open spot in sort of Edinburgh. Really funny guy. Ridiculously funny man. He's a lovely guy too. I did, um, he had the live, the Gary Tankminder live show during the Fringe and he, he brought on, guests each night for you know different guests and he asked me to come on and, and basically interviews the guests on stage in front yeah. of the audience so as, gary. To, as gary as oh. gary yeah so it was me it was me and jack whitehall so obviously <laughs> you know obviously i was doing all the heavy lifting in the comedy yeah, department yeah, yeah. there clearly um <laughs> but um yeah it was it was brilliant it was great fun it was quite cool to be on the other side of the fence at the, at the festival and and you know, to be part of a, a little show or a big show. I can remember years ago people saying, oh, so-and-so apparently, like, oh, Jason Byrne was doing a show and he was bantering with a guy in the front row and it turned out to be Chris Hoy. I can remember that always. I don't know if you're, if you're a regular you, comedy guy, but I can remember that that free song of excitement. Where, where, where did you hear from? Yeah, because that's, that's... Did you hear that from somebody else or...? Oh, yeah, ages ago. Like, I can remember... Yeah, I don't know, that, that was, was in sort of, 2000. So that was... That's so a free song of excitement that would have, would have spread around. That well, was probably my first year I did the festival, I think, 2000. Yeah. So he, we were there and I was with about five or six friends. One of them, one of my friends decided he wanted to sit in the front row and sort of try and goad the comedians to get a bit of banter going. I was like, we're not sitting in the front row. So anyway, it was all, you know, by the time he came in, I went to the bar, got some drinks and the show started very quickly. So I stayed at the bar and thought, I'm not walking in with the pints because I'm, I'm going to be a target immediately. Yeah. And, and then he's, even though there was no one sitting next to him, there was an empty seat. He started sort of chipping in with his hilarious comments, obviously. And uh, so Jason started like, well, sorry, sorry, what did you say? And he's, so he starts picking on him and he said, that, yeah, so where are all your friends? You know, you've got these empty seats. And he goes, oh, my friends over there at the bar. He said, he's just been to the Olympics in Sydney. He got a silver medal. <laughs> and I think he just thought he was taking the mickey. So he's like, all oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, where is he? He's at the bar, is he? Bring him up then. And I was like, oh, no. So I got on stage. And um, and he said, and he started shouting, "Show me your legs!" So, <laughs> so Jason, so Jason, I'm like, we're in jeans. He goes, "Right, so go on then, let's see your legs." And then, and I, like an obedient dog, I don't know why I did it. I just kind of peer pressure, whatever. Started yeah. taking my jeans off on stage and just stood there to show my legs because he didn't believe me. And then they all went quiet, and he was like. You you actually are an Olympic cyclist, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm a Chris Hoy or Roberta Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just this moment of, oh, thank, nice, nice to meet you. Thanks very much. And then uh, yeah. sat back down again. And it was just, it was quite surreal. But yeah, we'll have to get well, Jason on here. Yeah, he's a very, very funny man indeed. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the things that sometimes at a festival, you're kind of in a blur and then you look at it and think, I remember like that, that same year doing a stand up gig down at Dynamic Earth, you know, just by the. Yeah by the crags and yep. uh, Stefan Dennis from Neighbours was in the audience <laughs> and I just remember thinking that's all I could think wow. of because that's Paul. your you know that's your childhood Paul Robinson from, yeah. um, owner of the Lassiter's complex so you're getting, uh, <laughs> and that's all you can think about there's like 250 people there but you're going one of these people is Stefan Dennis <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was great 
love the festival for that though you, you just jump you bump into random folk in the street or you see them on their way to their gigs or whatever it's it's quite a cool place at that time of year it's fun yeah i can't, i don't have the nerve for it anymore i was sort of 20 when i started doing stand-up and i kind of i don't understand those people who take it up when they're Frank Skinner was like 30, I think. Arnold Brown, wow. 42. I think, where do you get the nerves to start something then? Do you know what I mean? I, I still had probably the last vestiges of my sort of youthful public school confidence before the, you know, <laughs> before that armour had shattered. But, but at any point, though, like it's, it's, we've said this before and here, haven't we, Matt, about how terrifying it must be to walk out on stage. Yeah. To a room full of strangers it's not like it's your own you know i think once you've established your your comedy career people are paying to come and see you but as a as a start you know as a beginner getting out there must be terrifying that bit that bit is terrible yeah undoubtedly it's terrifying but then I, I guess it's the same thing with any kind of intensity you know i, I was doing a lunch thing with um david gower and he was saying i came to see that show you did i just couldn't i couldn't understand how you managed to learn all those lines and i thought you used to face patrick patterson without a grill on your helmet bowling <laughs> at 95 miles an hour that that strikes me as a rather more frightening thing to have to contend with than uh, you know getting a load of words in your head so it's i guess it's just that different those different intensities but that's a really it's a really exciting time when you start but it, i can't the ner the nerves you think how how I can't imagine them passing through a slightly older body, frankly. But you're you're doing stand up again, a new tour next year. Yeah, yeah, doing a, yeah. Starting again in January. I just ran out a couple of shows. I went to a place in Caution, Wiltshire, and ran out just two nights off. Elected. It's a kind of it's an it's a story about a health health scare I had. Uh, I had a uh, I had to have brain surgery uh, two years ago, um, and it's that it's that's you know spoilers uh but it's that it's that kind of <laughs> it's that so it's all one story i'm which i'm yeah i'm absolutely fine now as you can see i hope i hope, hope i'm making sense as much sense as i imagine <laughs> I have. um but it, it's that you know you wait till you're well enough before you talk about it again i suppose um but i so yeah january and i'm really looking you know i'm nervous about it but also you know i i'd written this show i had this thing happen to me so i i wrote it down because i thought i want to write i want to have some sort of cathartic thing and i thought you know it's quite an important thing and I might forget bits of it. So if I write a show about it, I'll have those sort of memories. Then, of course, you add punchlines. You think, am I changing the truth? No, no, no. I've said the doctor said this, but maybe it wasn't that. But I, And then I thought, I don't even need to do it. I could just, I just, but I do, I do need to write it. And I've never had that sort of thing before. And then I went to see Blur at Wembley Stadium, which was amazing. And then I just sort of, in the crowd, and I thought, God, it's great being in a crowd, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that show. I think I'll, I'll, I'll tell my promoter to book book dates and then do it. So that's that's what I find myself doing. Yeah, from uh, from January. Amazing. So is it? Are there any nerves? Have you been a while since you've been on on stage doing a tour, doing a live show, or is it something that yeah. never never leaves well, you? There's a, there's there's some sort of muscle memory there, but it is when you haven't. You know, what's the longest break? In, like in your sort of professional career, what was the longest longest break you had between like really intense? But I, I guess you were, there were periods of my career where I wasn't racing that frequently, but even then it could be three months, you know, two or three months okay, maximum, yeah. maybe more, but but you'd have a big, a major race every year. You have the World Championships every year. You have the Olympics every four years, Commonwealth Games every four years. So every every two years you'd have a Games and every, every season you have a World Championship. So you never have a massive break. I had a 10-week 
injury layoff yeah. where I wasn't riding at all. But really, you're never you're never totally out of that that kind of habit or routine and of you, performing. You don't have that that length of time when you suddenly think, and also you're training all the time. I suppose that thing of I wonder if I can still do this. Kind of, you don't yeah. there's no time in your schedule for that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think you see it with people who have either changed their focus, maybe go from the track to the road and come back to the track, or um, yeah, injuries, I guess, are the biggest thing when you've not raced for a while, or even riders who you know go in, have a baby, and come back. And yeah. it's you know, I mean, it's quite remarkable the number of riders in the team this year that the GB team that have come back in, Eleanor Barker, Laura Kenny. Um, Laura Faki, there's a few, and it amazes me how quickly because I, I know how how tough it was as a father, just not you know having lack of sleep, and you know aside from all the things that happen to your body as a mother, but as a as a dad, I couldn't imagine getting straight back into or trying to train and race and compete at the top level whilst yeah, you've got this tiny little baby. That your sort of physiognomy hasn't changed, has it? No, <laughs> you're just no, exactly. you're, just, you're just a bit tired. Yeah. I, know, <laughs> I do a podcast with Mark Mark Wood, and he you know they had a baby just before the ashes and i think he was like going from one to having two suddenly and we've got five he was going how the you know I wow know how you can do it and i you know i i don't know either <laughs> but like just recently i mean david milan he's you know had a baby in the middle of this sort of series against new zealand missed one game for it scored an absolute mountain in the games either side and you think you people are you know you're an absolute wow. machine but i did have a obviously with the covid that, that layoff i'd said i would do a, be, a, a sort of benefit gig in in memory of um Jeremy Hardy, a few of us did, and I'd said yes to it. And then and at the time I said yes to it, I hadn't done a gig for quite a long time. And then COVID came along, so I got put back. So by that point, I hadn't done a stand-up gig in front of an audience for three years. And it was it was at the Hammersmith Apollo with about 3,000 people there, and it was 15 minutes. And I that was a lot of nerves. I can't. <laughs> Sean Moore said to me, he goes, oh, the funniest thing tonight is just me looking at you before you go on stage. <laughs> That's going to be the best bit. And I was sort of in the, I was sharing dressing with about six of the people. I was just sort of in the fetal position in the corner thinking, how, how can this be happening? And then actually what happened was Jack D wasn't using his dressing room. So can I go and pace up and down in there? And he said, yeah, it's fine. And then he came in to get something. He said, are you all right? I said, I'm really nervous. And he, Jack D, he went, we're all nervous. And I just went, oh, right. If you're nervous, this person that I watch, you know, all the time, you know, on telly when I was a teen, if you're nervous, then I, I'm at least, and it doesn't make me feel less nervous, but I thought, oh, we're allowed to be. Yeah. You know, and it was like being given, sort of inst quite institutionalised as a person, I suppose. It was like being given permission <laughs> to be nervous. But it's, I think it's part of the process. I mean, I don't know for, for comedy and performing, but certainly in, in sport, you, it's exactly the same thing. There's points before it where you think, what on earth am I doing this for? Why am I putting myself through this unbelievable stress? I don't want to be here. I want to be anywhere but here. Yeah. And then you go through it and, and actually as soon as you get into the flow, it's fine and not just fine, it's brilliant. And you finish the race and you think that was amazing. Right. Next time I'm going to remember that and I'm yeah. not going to be nervous. I'm just going to remind myself it's all going to be fine. But you realize it's just part of the process of you becoming alert, becoming ready for, for performance. And, and you need to have that, that kind of adrenalized state and recognizing that it's okay to be nervous. It's kind of, it, it's everything just sort of heightened, isn't it? it it's mm. all at a one one time. And if you can stop and breathe, I guess. We we spoke to Michael Holding recently, the West Indies uh, pace bowler, who, you know, Mark was quite nervous about it. And he was asking about nerves on the pitch. And he said, um, remember, this is one of the greatest, most intimidating bowlers the game's ever seen. He said, if you're not nervous, you've got no right to be out there. And I thought, 
well, I, I will have to accept that. If mm. that's the case. <laughs> I'm sure there are days where people are, I don't know, fielding at Eastbourne on a wet day and I've had to go out and field for the last couple of hours. And think, oh, cracking. <laughs> Hard to get it up in terms of, uh, you know, the fight for it. But uh, I, I think nerves, you know, you know, you don't like them, do you? But you think, or at least knowing that they're meant to be there is, is quite is quite a good thing. Yeah. I'm a big, big fan of your podcast. Not just saying that because you're on, but it's one of my few regular listeners. Um, oh, thank you. Absolutely love it. You're very good, you two together. Just this, it's just a naturally sort of funny partnership. Um, it's just a just like us, man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just a notch down from us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, al- it's alchemy. That's what. That's what it's, I can. I can see in front of me. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> there's a kind of again, like saying to you how weird this is to suddenly be sitting on a podcast with you that it came out out of I think was it lock I think it was a lockdown thing. It's a guy he he doesn't make podcasts, he's got another sort of proper job, but he wanted to make a cricket podcast and he said we were his first choices. I don't know if that's if that's true or not. He still maintains that's the case. And I so I someone said do you want to I said do you want to do a podcast? I said, oh, not really. She <laughs> said it's about cricket and I said, Oh that sounds quite interesting. And then she said it would be you and Mark Wood and I was going, What? Because you know two years earlier I'd been in the crowd watching him win the world cup and i was getting crazy and then i sort of went and thought i don't know what this would be like and there was a brief moment when you could do a few things in person or face to face and he got there early and i got there early so we ended up having lunch together and just i just love him he's just great he's just he, he yeah he's not like anyone else <laughs> it's kind of and again that sort of journey from nowhere to a point where you're like i'm in the crowd having paid 29 and a half hours worth of babysitting money for one day of uh, one day of live cricket uh, and you know and two years later i'm sitting in the car in ashton with him he goes go in there for chips but you must ask for gravy and you think wow this life how's life come this way <laughs> he's great yeah i do i, I, I become pro- proper friends with him i think and it's been a great one of the great thrills of the last few years actually i like because he loves he loves the purity of, of 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 the grassroots cricket as well which obviously is your love and i think that works well because he, he climbed up through is it ashington is that what ashington yeah so yeah. him and and steve harmiston yeah. and steve's brother ben they you know they they've turned out extraordinary players the, the 20 fastest spells bowled in australia in the last 20 years were by two men who had come up through ashington cricket club and we went and recorded one there and i just thought it was the we had such a fantastic time they all know each other it's a you know it's sort of three four generations there everyone knows each other everyone treats each other the same all the all families all come and and i thought this is how the game has grown here is through the club thing it's not about schools or facilities or whatever it's people they all come up through their club and they they are the people in ashington who love cricket and we had a just a fantastic yeah and his parents were sort of sitting there and the third row or whatever and there was he does this thing which Harm, steve harmison used to do or basically when he came back from a tour he'd put a message out saying that there is kit for people who need kit at the club and you know willie's point is because kit's really expensive so i can you know i can help people with this and so the day with you know a load of matches were finishing as we turned up and this sort of 14 year olds with luck now super giants kit bags and stuff like that <laughs> like, around. you know it looks like a kind of amazing academy so were you a decent cricketer yourself back in the day when you were a kid you know where the passion for it began when I, you were younger yeah, 11 i got into it i have to say i was one of these people i a bit like when you um start losing your hair you're the you're the last to know so <laughs> i i thought oh eventually i was oh i'm i'm really shit at this and then i thought 
and everyone else must have known for ages, but because I was sort of enthusiastic, <laughs> they kind of let me go on. Yeah, a sort of classic, sort of all the gear, no idea sort of person. But I just, I kind of loved it. And I went, when I was between the ages of, sort of nine and 13, I went to this small school in, in Windsor. And it, 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 what was great about it being small was that, um, although you, you left not really prepared for the rest of life, you you got a chance to do things like that. So quite like in cricket meant that I would always play for, you know, the under 11 A's or, or maybe we'd probably only put one side together or whatever, or, you know, and it was the world where if you were scoring and someone got injured, you could actually suddenly find yourself batting for the first 11 or, or, or whatever. <laughs> I had literally one successful innings in my time there, which was a 52 I scored, but it was the such where, for instance, my one term, my chosen sport was hockey. So on a Tuesday and Thursday, I'd play hockey. But nevertheless, on Saturday, I would be picked to play rugby for the first 15 uh, because they <laughs> needed the people. And I would, you know, turn up and play in these matches despite that would be the only the only rugby I would play would be would be matches. So you'd get loads of opportunities and stuff. But I was basically incapable of turning uh, of taking them. But I was capable of, of turning up. But I so, I you know, I've probably played. Maybe I got as far as the third 11 at my next school I went to. But really, I was just an enthusiast. I just loved watching it. I just loved talking about it. And increasingly, as I get older, you know, I'm, I'm quite scared when I play now. I've obviously had my recent head thing. But before that, I got concussed playing in a, <laughs> playing in a game once. Concussed while fielding, which is the ultimate indignity. Um, you know, a ball burst in this sort of mad... It was authors versus actors. And I was put at long on. And I was so well-placed by our captain that... and that a ball went really high up in the air and there's no way I could fudge it. I, I had to try and you could normally go, oh, sorry, I just quite couldn't. <laughs> it literally, if I'd stood there with my eyes closed, it would have been the same end result. Uh, <laughs> but I put my hands up. And luckily, it did. I did get some of it on my hand or it would have taken full force. But I um, I then sort of, next thing I knew, I sort of came round and I was going, oh, where's the ball? And I was looking for the ball and I couldn't find it because there were loads of legs in the way. And it was, it turns out, everyone else playing in the field, in the game who was now around me in a circle. But I didn't realise that. I was going, I've got to find the ball. And they were going, the game, you don't have to find the ball. The game has stopped. We're here to check that you're all right. It's now Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> it's now Tuesday. They've run 712. Uh, yeah. uh, it, so I, I, I'm a bit scared of it now. I mean, I but what I love is um, I love drinking beer from a can sitting on camping furniture talking about some sport that's just happened that to me is the and i don't know if that's what things are like in the cycling world but i pretty much a, yeah track the center in the velodrome that's what it's like exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple in of the cans provincial club cricket world that's sort of what it's like and that um, that is actually my favorite my favorite bit of it i went to a couple of games this summer uh cricket internationals i'm lucky enough to sort of be in hospitality but there's part of me thinks Oh right, this is all very nice, but actually, I I would I'd like to get some food out of a van. Mm. I'd like to drink some beer out of a plastic cup. That would be, to me, that that's sort of such an essential part of sport. That's the real thing. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So who, who were your heroes then when you were growing up as a cricket fan, playing cricket school? Who, who were the guys you looked up to? Well, 91, I could probably, I won't, I could probably name the people at my school who I just thought were amazing at cricket and that I would almost be starstruck by. But 91, I got into cricket. So that was before, that was around about the time Ian Botham got recalled for his last, last sort of hurrah, the leg over test. That was the one where Brian Johnson and Agnew lost control of themselves um and so both of them was my first hero and then he retired in 93 and michael atherton became my hero who was not i don't wasn't really sure of his place at the beginning of that summer and by the end was um was captain he became my great cricketing hero and has never has never been displaced really since then but just at a time you know amazing you know viv richards was still was still playing these people like richie richardson and carl hooper any anyone that that played or got near to playing for England, I was so excited by. You know, I, I I'd be an autograph hunter. I'd take my little autograph book to the grounds. And I'd sort of hang out near the, where the players parked to get their autographs when they were sort of suddenly coming back to their cars and and, and stuff like that. So it, it, literally anyone in that era. And then you get to two thousand and five. That's kind of the end of the movie. You know, all the us being dreadful, dreadful for years. That that was the kind of payoff. So anyone involved in that period, I get tremendously excited by really, and it's quite, it's quite mad. You know, some of you know, go to sort of sports or cricket dinners or whatever, and you realise you're sitting on a table. With, I, I, I spoke at the Wisden cricket dinner, which is nerve wracking enough, and I got there slightly late, and I sat at my my table had sort of Alex Stewart and Graham Thorpe and Ian Salisbury and these players, and I was just sitting there at the table with them, and it seemed completely, you know, no madder than this. But, you know, mad, really. And then I got up to make my speech, a chunk, a chunk of which was about my hero, who, you know, thanks to the vicissitudes of the seating plan, was sat about six feet from the lectern. So it was <laughs> completely, yeah, again, yeah, a lot of nerves. But, yeah, you know, fun, really. And I find those people, the thing about like, acting or whatever, you're, there's a kind of level playing field in a way. Obviously, there's a kind of hierarchy to it. But once you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, you're doing the same. You are doing the same thing as that person, even if they're in the whole movie and you're just there for an afternoon or whatever. For that moment, you are you are doing the same thing, and, the, and you can kind. There's a kind of leveler about it. Whereas, for me, you know, people that have played sport any any sport, you know, at a high level, it's a thing that it's so far beyond my comprehension how the amount of time that people that, that 
play sport properly have to do the things that they do and their thought processes and what they're physically capable of it's so it's so far from my comprehension that i have this this kind of sort of worship of them i remember doing i, I was on both episodes of mock the week that um uh, andy murray came to and the first time he came i think he'd, he'd been a losing finalist and yet there he was like two days later sitting in the in the audience and it was it was extraordinary then it it came again but the next time it came to one he came and sort of, we all got to say hello to him but then he, he'd won it tw- twice and you're going this is this is unbelievable this is this, <laughs> these people are walking amongst us people have done these things. yeah I, I find it amazing and i kind of love that and i don't ever want to lose that sort of uh you know it's lovely to go oh yeah they're just a regular person you know no i want these people to be on a pedestal you know I, I, I love that aspect of it i think it's the it's your childhood sporting heroes or all your heroes when you're a kid that that will always stand above no matter you know you get current sporting athletes that are amazing and they can perform yeah. and they can break world records they're technically better than athletes 20 30 years ago <clears throat> but there's nothing that can ever topple your childhood heroes. I, I don't think they they are superheroes to you when you're that age, and you they even seem taller, bigger. They were like they were just giants, and, yeah. and you know you meet them now, and it's yeah, and they're obviously going to be fairly old. Some of them quite elderly, and you know they're yeah. not athletes anymore, but they still hold that aura about them. You meet them, and you go, I remember that race or that match or whatever it was, and how it made you feel, and and the, the inspiration it gives you as well, and. You just you just want to be close to them. We used to run onto the pitch at Murrayfield and try and just pat on the backs of any of our yeah. you know, any of our team, any of the Scotland team. Um, it was great when you could do that on yeah. like cricket. We used to be you know at the end of you know at the end of a Test match, you'd sort of gather under the pavilion and the presentation would be done. Now it's sort of done entirely for the cameras, but you'd go and you know there'd be that mad, so unsafe presumably, that mad dash for people before they're running off the pitch or whatever, or waiting. I remember sorry, the Oval, Devon. Devon Malcolm was sort of walking past, and I thought oh, I've got an opportunity to give him a pat on the back, and so I, I, <laughs> I just patted him on the back. As I was, of course, he's this you know incredibly strong man. It was like sort of slapping granite or something. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> Devon Malcolm is a like, goodness me, he's a, you know. And then a few days, you know, a few not a few days, a few years later, I played in a sort of charity match with him, and I finally took a wicket when someone smacked me not to the boundary, but to someone standing on the boundary. And uh, it was caught, and it was a game in the sort of indoor school at Lords. And Devon Malcolm came over and high five and went, "There you go, there's your first wicket at Lords." And you think, "Wow, I've seen you do, I've seen you do, you know, these amazing things." I met him recently. I was with um, Rory Bremner at the Oval, and he he came over to speak to Rory, and then Rory said, "This is Devon," and he said, "Oh yes, sorry, I'm Devon. I, I used to play cricket." And then came on, and we were all going. So we sort of had to stop him going. You can't say oh, I used to play. This is the ground where you took nine wickets against <laughs> South Africa in 1990. Just say I used to play cricket. We, you know, we, you know, it's it's not obviously all modesty is delightful, isn't it? But at the same time, you're going, I can't can't quite let let you get away with that. Um, so those things, you know, they, they, when you all those heroes, I read an article in the Times the other week about about Chucky McClare, you know, from Man United, who was my sort of favourite footballer in the 90s. I, I think because he used to write a column in the. Um, in the sort of Man United fanzine called Chucky Chucky Brian McClare. Chucky, Brian oh yes, Brian McClare. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a massive football fan, but I do remember. I know very little Brian about McClare. him. I'm already yeah. out of my depth, but I have. <laughs> to have a, for whatever reason, my favourite player was Brian McClare, Man, Man United. He had quite a sort of long hair, didn't he? A bit of a not not sort of mullet, but slightly. 
well now and now he's kind of looks sort of quite hipsterish he's got this sort of fantastic mm. gray beard and there was just this in-depth interview with him in the times so i was going that's brian mcclair and i was sort of tremendously excited by it again because it's that you know those sort of people you you know he's the sort of person who came on the 88th minute of the fa cup final and you know tapped in to make it four nil or whatever in the 90th minute and you think oh those things that happen when you're sort of <laughs> when those things that happen when you're excited uh they they sort of get stored you know deep within you know and you can remember those moments so sort of absolutely specifically. I think that's the extraordinary thing about, you know, a bit like sometimes people come up and say and do like a line that you've done in a programme and you can't really rem necessarily remember it because that day you had 20 lines that day or whatever. Really? Or so you don't, you don't remember that? When people come Not up to you and quote, quote stuff do, to you? But you know, like, someone came up to it, someone did some stuff in the two episodes of um, The Thick of It and they were doing this stuff and I said, sorry, what do you... Because I didn't have any, you know, it was sort of a blur doing it and whatever. Yeah, I might go up to, a, I would be equally guilty of going up to a cricket and saying, gosh, so I saw this extraordinary game at Derbyshire and what you did. And they'd be going, why? You know, I must have played 80 days of competitive cricket that summer. I've got absolutely no idea what what you're talking about. But to me, it's all, you know, it's all sort of there. I've got such, such vivid recollections of, yeah, of 90s stuff, you know. I, I really did some my period. Oh, I, I did some filming recently or i think it's about a year ago now actually with david schneider um yeah. who i'm a massive fan of I'm a, as an alan partridge fan and lots of other things yeah. that he's done but i just found it took every fiber of my kind of being to to not come up and go smell my cheese you mother you know to start <laughs> quoting all the stuff from from that iconic scene that you know the the, yeah, um, yeah. the partridge is he going to get the second series um lunch and it's and it's just and it, you, you you wonder you or you assume that you know actors like yourself must just get it all the time and and i guess it's worse for comedians who have catchphrases and sitcoms or whatever yeah yeah you know, like, i saw, like, you know, I saw nicky be. flanagan this week and obviously he, there's, there's no social setting into which people can't somehow manage to crowbar the phrase out out if he's if, if he's not at home basically people ask him if he's out out i think and it's just that's something he just has to he has to live with um going back on alan partridge though quickly just as an aside because mars my job's as a sports journalist but i worked at the bbc sport website and i worked for a thing called the specials team where we would create lots of different content and original ideas mm. it was quite quite fun and one idea we came up to create a computer game of monkey tennis and Steve Coogan very very nearly signed it off I don't know what happened at the end there was, was a meeting with Steve Coogan and he was doing the commentary we're gonna get into the commentary of this game monkey tennis and I think someone I think he was okay with it and someone in the hierarchy stopped it but wouldn't that have been amazing if monkey tennis had existed <laughs> would have, I think it would have wow. taken off but there we go What's, that would be and it seems so achievable I mean yeah. there'll be someone yeah. who listens to this that's like well I could program make, that make it now. possible it'll be ready within half an yeah. hour to have yeah yeah oh, that's... not as easy as inner city sumo that must be you know that's got to be the easiest <laughs> car park think, yeah well didn't someone as an advertising they literally got chris eubank to go youth hosteling they did they, that, <laughs> yes. that, was the one that, they made. Yes. that was made wasn't it it was actually on television but chris, chris addison oh. told me a thing there's a scene in seen in one of the early series of the thick of it where they're there's three of them in the back of a cab and they're on their way to uh, announce a new policy and so they set up a press conference and then they get a phone call saying we're scrapping that policy then they're going but we're on the way to announce it and they go well you have to announce something else and they have to sit in the back of a taxi cab so they improvised it apparently just coming up with various various things and every single thing that they came up with in the end is a thing that is now is now 
a rule, all the things that they're obsessed with. That well, like one of them is like there ought, there ought to be bouncy concrete in all playgrounds. Or uh, Glenn <laughs> goes, everyone should carry a plastic bag. As, as just one of his policies, <laughs> <laughs> and they've all, they've all, they've all happened. It, it's kind of extraordinary. There's a scene wow. there in um, Clockwork Orange where the, the milk bar. There's a sort of menu behind them of all the different drinks you can buy, and they reached a point where every single name of those drinks had become an indie band. There was an indie band <laughs> named after every single, wow. every every single milk drink available. Life imitating art. I wanted to ask about your, because I've mentioned this to Chris beforehand, of your um, foray into sports journalism briefly on a on an England tour to India. Is that is that right? I mean, you can tell the story yeah, better that, than I. Uh, yeah, it was 2006. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I, I sort of took advantage of uh, my work I'd done at BBC Scotland because I, I, I wanted to go and watch cricket and I kind of thought the best way and maybe try and become a cricket journalist and I thought presumably it's very difficult and, and you have to train so I, I got it into my head that if I could just get into the into the press box then I could sort of start from there and I'd go in there and I'd look busy I'd hopefully take in the right stuff with me and I'd sit there doing stuff and eventually someone would say oh well short of can somebody do we need someone to write 400 words for this or someone to come and summarize on test match special or someone to do a pit i just thought i'll get there and look look kind of useful and i'll be able to sort of get my my feet into that world because i was you know, 25 or 26 so we've been doing uh balamori in scotland that finished filming in late 2004 i think and then we did these <laughs> we did these arena tours in I think 2005 or whatever. And then I sort of didn't, I thought, well, that was a thing and that's over. And I don't know what, that, that was a surprise anyway. And then I thought, I don't know what to do. So I, I did think, well, I, I would like to become a cricket journalist, basically. So I, um, so that was my plan to get it. And I, so I would be in Radio Scotland. Quite, I'd be, I used to do Fred McCauley's breakfast show, not a breakfast show, but it's a morning show quite a lot or some sports stuff with John, John Beattie. And then, uh, and so knew, knew loads of people in the building and someone said, help you get some you know someone will write you a letter on headed notepaper so i had a piece of headed notepaper saying would you just bbc sport scotland or bbc scotland sport at the top uh for to whom it may concern miles jupps our cricket correspondent and then um as soon as i had that paper i rang up the england wales cricket board and said hi it's miles jupp here i'm the chief cricket correspondent for bbc scotland please can we sort out accreditation for the tour and they said yeah absolutely and um and then it sort of began i mean the frightening wow they they were like and then they, i said can you remind me who's booking the travel this year and they said oh it's sun sport as per and i thought oh thanks so much so i got in touch <laughs> with them and said oh it's miles jack from scotland um please can you book me on you know with all the journalists um all the press corps and they said yeah yeah fine no problem at all by the way it's the tester at these dates this is how traveling and then they went uh, should we just send the bill straight to bbc scotland and I said, "Oh no, don't, don't, don't do that, because that, yeah, that's obviously red flag I'm crashing down." I said, I, I, "I said I worked with them. This was weird freelance basis, you know, when it's like." And so they, so they said to me, and I paid the bill, and then, and then I sort of rocked up, pretending to be, to have a not a non-existent job, and uh, yeah, trying, trying my best to sort of fit in, and I. I, I, you know, I really, I, I got in. I thought, I thought getting into the press box would be the hard bit. That was, that was the easy bit. And you was just suddenly in there. There's a load of desks, and you know, you sit at one and do a thing. The hard bit was, you know, not quite having things to do or knowing how anything worked or realizing that as a layman who loves the game, I know nothing in comparison to people who genuinely know about it. And they were just they're reeling off statistics and places and stuff, and you can't quite. You can't quite keep up with them. And I don't know about the rhythms of the day. One day I forgot 
yeah, I just for I forgot to bring a laptop. I just because I sort of was up late or whatever. And they were like, how are you going to write? And I was going, uh, I don't file on Tuesdays. And they were going, why is that? And I go, it's this, oh. I, Religious it's, reasons. I, yeah. I said, gosh, I mean, I wish I <laughs> Yeah, it's a kind of, yeah, sort of chariot's fire kind yeah. of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm a kind of cricketing little and I can't. Uh, I, so it was completely, I was, I was way, way, way out of my depth. Um, and and lying to people, but I did make lot, you know, I made you know a lot of friends in in the process. Really, did you write any work, actual stories for anyone when you were there, or or did no. that? No, no. Oh, no, no. I tell a lie. I uh, in those days, uh, blogs was like a new like a new thing, and my father in law worked for a newspaper in Wales, and they'd said that they would um, that they would pay me to write articles only about the, the only Welsh cricketer. Uh, Simon Jones, and then he was injured before I got there. <laughs> so they said they're not at all interested. And I kind of said, "What? What? I need something to do. I need to." And they set up, they set up a blog, which presumably took them five minutes, but I imagined was some sort of enormous gateway. So I dutifully wrote these things, going, "Oh, it's, you know, it's very hot here, and uh, gosh, I bumped into CERN." So they were awfully nice. That genuinely, I was told it had been read by twenty-two people at the end of my, <laughs> end of my time there. <laughs> This is like, like our podcast, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I forget 22, that's a good one. That is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they went to stop. Uh, yeah, I, I, so, I, yeah, I made no impact whatsoever. And I just sort of went home and wrote it off as a kind of interesting failure. And then a few years later, I thought, no, it's a, that's a sort of story. So it became, I did. I went to Edinburgh in 2010 and did a show about it called Fibber in the Heat. And then that... Um, I wrote, and then I wrote a book, a book of that, and taught it again. So it became a sort of rolling project for two or three years, I suppose. Um, and and again, it's one of those things you think, well, thank heavens I did it when I was young because I wouldn't have the, you know, I don't know what age you get to when you suddenly go, do you know what? What's the point of being afraid of anything again and just going for it? But I've not, <laughs> not reached there somehow. So as you think, well, I'm glad I did that then and not now because I would sort of just totally buckle under the an adventure under the pressure. Well, the things like I'd get myself in these. So I tell people oh, I'm the BBC Scotland correspondent, and then the real BBC Scotland, real <laughs> not then the real BBC correspondents. There was a BBC Wales correspondent out there, and he was going, oh, "I didn't know you guys had one." And I, but, yeah, it's new thing of trialling it. You know, you, Peter Baxter, who produced Test Match Special, I remember him saying, um, "Oh, I'm glad I bumped into you. I'm just about to go on the roof and set up the satellite so that we can um, just do a load of broadcasting to Broadcasting House. Uh, Singers, I've got it up. Uh, why don't you?" come with us and then you can broadcast uh everything that you need to do and i'm happy to operate it for you and i was going i uh yeah um and i sort of mumbled something about oh, i think i did it with my, my my phone i've actually already filed or again oh we never file on thursdays uh, whatever it would have been got to point, everyone would have matched up their stories like to wait a minute police yeah. forces and go he'd see said every single day it says well he doesn't have to file on so i would have to sort of tiptoe my way out of you know in that situation you're lying to someone who's being kind to you <laughs> and that's awful so um, but it did it did turn into a yeah turned into a show and it was yeah that i mean that that was a misadventure but but kind of worthwhile in the end for the sort of sheer experience and and just you know use your chutzpah while you while you have it i suppose yeah fake it till you make it exactly that thing or, there you go or fake, or fake it till you can monetize it <laughs> is that how you got into sports journalism matt was that the same sort of story i think i'm still making it up as i go along i'm sure i'll get found out one day but uh but yeah. I've, well i've since met people that is how they got into it they were like i went on yeah I, that's what i did i went on to a 
went on a tour of Pakistan and hung around and I eventually got some work. And I get there's a ni- really nice guy, Adam Collins, who does a brilliant podcast, The Last Word, and he writes a lot for The Guardian. He's a commentator now. And he said, oh, yeah, I read, reading that book is the thing that made me decide to become a cricket journalist. Oh, said, wow. That's, yeah, that's completely completely bonkers but i mean presumably you've you've inspired entire generations of uh, track cyclists now i mean there must be thousands of thousands you know you, you know that's that's a far far greater legacy um, i think do you know what i think you, you look back over the last uh well when it's kind of around the beijing olympics time up until london that's sort a of four or five year period when we started winning gold medals frequently we had tour de france podiums then tour de france uh, wins and it, it just seemed to be this this kind of era where everybody was reminded that riding a bike is actually quite good fun and and it seemed to, to be you know being part of that that era that that seemed to yeah capture the imagination of the British public and, and get them excited about riding bikes again it was you know without being too cheesy about it that's one of the the, the sort of most satisfying things of my career is, is having been part of that era and yeah it's lovely to think that somebody might have taken up riding a bike because of something that I did on the track. But there was one There was one guy who came to me and said that his mum had never learned to ride a bike, couldn't ride a bike, and she was, I think she was in her late 70s or early 80s, and learned to ride a bike after watching the, the Olympics. So there was another guy who was, I think, 20, oh, 25, 26 stone, and he was sitting watching the opening ceremony, and I came out carrying the, the flag in London, and he said, he, said, he was looking down at his his dinner and, and his... He said, my legs beer. are that big. And he... <laughs> and he and he was like, "I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get on my bike. I've got a bike in the shed. I'm gonna. I, I need to sort my life out." Um, and he was quite young still at that point. And and he turned his life around. And he basically halved his body weight in the space of a year. And they brought him. So he his story. I don't know how his story became. Um, it was drawn to attention. I think it was Sky. It was Team Sky or something like that. And so Sky arranged this this visit for him to come to the velodrome in Glasgow as a as a, a sort of a special you know little program about him. But he didn't know that I was going to be there to to see him, and it was oh amazing. He, so he became like a ride leader. He was doing stuff for local communities and helping other people get into cycling, and and riding a bike had kind of changed his life. So, so yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's incredible when you see how a flash of inspiration that comes from I mean, the people. You've got to be in the right, you know, you've got to be in that state of mind where you're ready to receive inspiration. I think, but when it comes yeah, and yeah. you see something, it's just that moment you kind of go right. I'm going to do that, or I'm so going to do this. Your 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 cup has to be empty, doesn't it? I suppose mm. at that time. And it, was that through track cycling or road, or road cycling? That was so with the, the guy, guy who the lost guy the, completely. It was the it was actually the, just the Olympics. It was he said he saw me <clears> carrying <throat> the flag. But his own his own cycling. What did he? Yes, have? it was just we just had a mountain bike, just a, a regular bike that he could you know like pump the tires up. Right out you go. I'm just going to ride down to the end of my street and back, which yeah. is all he could do at the beginning. And by the end, he was he was riding to you know to work, and he was every day on his bike. And then he got a road bike, and then he was doing longer challenges. And I think I think he did with his wife. I think they did John O'Groats, Lands End John O'Groats, or maybe yeah. coast to coast. But it was a massive. No, it was it was Lands End John O'Groats. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. So yeah, it is. It's really rewarding when you hear stories, or even just people going, "Do you know what?" I've started riding to to work, and it's after watching the Olympics, seeing you guys doing well. I thought I'm going to give that a go. Or or young kids that were there was a, a guy in the the British team at the World Championships in Glasgow last month who won his first world. It was his first World Championships. He's in the para cycling team, and he won the scratch race, became world champion, got the rainbow jersey, all that. 
And his first time on the track was with me. We were doing a feature for, um, I had a range of kids' bikes, and he came on. He was like a little test pilot. His dad was one of the, the shop managers. Mm-hmm. And so he brought Archie along, and age ten, uh, age, sorry, age six or seven, he was on this little bike, and and there's a photo of me and him riding on the track, just the two of us. There was nobody else there that day. And there he was, you know, 10 years later, world champion on the TV. Great. And, I, and we were, into, you know, Claire Balding and I are interviewing him. And it's it's just, it was amazing. That is, that is phenomenal. But that was the spark when he thought, yeah, I'm going to give this track cycling a go. Well, that kind of generational thing, you know, and it creeps up on you without you noticing. Like at the moment, the England team are training, you know, Freddie Flintoff is going and training with the England cricket team. And you, and you think, oh, I see, because this is, this is a generation of people who are currently, you know, sort of elite England cricketers who were inspired by this person. They were the, he he was their teenage hero, and now he's the one sort of holding the mitt as they're mm. you know, running in a bowling and stuff like that. I think that that is extraordinary, and you do get that with you know when you, you know, you work with people that, you know, I did a thing with job with Hugh Laurie two years ago, and I, you know, he's one of the absolutely one of the reasons that I I do this. And then, and then one day you're, you know, you're sat there, and he's going, um, "Yeah, that was done. Really like that take. Yeah, can you do another one like that?" And you think, you know, you have to kind of keep that in a, you have to compartmentalise because otherwise you go, "Yes, of course I will." I mean, it's you for heaven's sake. Yeah, anything. But I just, you know, that that thing, and you think, yeah, that's really nice. And then you think, oh, I should say something. And then you know, you become sort of shy or whatever and you, think, and you don't well, want to don't make want it awkward to... do you it's just you, you yeah. don't want to freak them out by telling yeah, them how much he's, he's they mean to you he's really busy he's written it <laughs> and he's directing it and he's in it and does he also need some sort of tearful 40 year old man saying thank you thank you for the life you've given me so you think i won't i won't jump in here you know when, when i worked at the bbc we used to be allowed to go um to BBC Sports Personality of the Year each year, but after certain bad behaviour, we got stopped. One of which was, was the year is the year Paula Radcliffe won, and I was pretty yeah. young then, so I thought, oh, it'd be fun. And there were lots of drinks, and so dr- had too much to drink. I remember, I remember sort of dancing, trying to break dance with the Great Britain Rugby League team, and all these sort of weird <laughs> moments of things going horribly wrong. But I remember thinking it was very, very important at, late into the evening to go up to Paula Radcliffe and tell her, and she looked slightly alarmed by this dishevelled idiot with eyes were no longer sort of rolling around my face and tell her I thought it was congratulations well done on winning the award you really deserve it and I was thinking I've got to think of something profound here and I just said I touched her arm which I don't think was a great move and said you're really fast (laughs) 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 and her husband her husband I mean I know her quite well now but her husband then just wheels her away validation I have been waiting for I was like that's that's played out exactly as I hoped it would yeah so <laughs> I, had, I had everyone taking the mickey out of me for days afterwards after that but there we go nicely done nicely done I've not well, been allowed I, back since yeah I got really starstruck here, where I live then is near a quite a famous recording studio called Rockfield where they did like Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff and they've got loads of indie stuff in the 90s and I so I lived in Edinburgh for six years and I I think I heard the song Sunshine on Leith in a pub once and was like, what's this? This is incredible. And I got really, really into the Proclaimers and I've seen them live loads of times. And then I was in Cafe Nero and I looked and I thought, God, that's Craig Reed from the Proclaimers. And it was just just on his own. And I said to the guy I was with, that's one of the Proclaimers. And he was going, how do you recognise one of the Proclaimers? And I was going, because, you know, that's because it's one of the, you know, that's 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 very much him and i decided i would go over and, and speak to him and i i 
I said he was reading a novel and eating a panini as he, you know, well within his rights. And I, I said, I really don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to say how much I, I admire you. And uh, he said, Oh, thanks very much. He said, Is he you, Miles? And I said, I am, but never mind that. <laughs> and <laughs> he was offering me this olive branch, effectively, to say we could have a conversation like normal people. But I was having absolutely none of it because I was, I was just really excited. You know, the music means a, a lot to me. And I was just really excited. And I just, I just couldn't stop. Uh, and <laughs> rather than saying, how are you guys working on a new album then? I hope you're enjoying the area. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, I, I like the tomato and basil one myself. You know, any, any of the sort of things you could, what are you reading? Oh, I like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do some of the work yourself. It's exciting, isn't it? You feel as a reader. But I, 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 I just, he had made it possible for me to have that sort of, but I didn't. And I just, anything that floated to the surface that was vaguely proclaimers related just sort of came out uh, to the point where I, I sort of listed all the gigs that I'd been to of them. I listed all the tracks that I liked on their most recent albums that I particularly, and at the time I'd been <laughs> doing a lot of running. I trained for this sport relief thing. And I said the most, the thing that made his eyes just go, what is this? I said, I'm running quite a lot at the moment and I listen mainly to your music. So at the moment I imagine I'm listening to your music for about five and a half hours every week. And he just went, it has been really nice to meet you. <laughs> I thought I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop myself. It's the perfect thing. You know, if you're like, a, you know, my wife had been with you, she could have tugged me on the elbow like minutes earlier and said, that, that will do now. That will, that will heal, essentially. But it just all came. But I, shoot, I, I love the Scotland World Cup song, uh, We Have a Dream. Uh, mm. B.A. Robertson and John Gordon Sinclair. And I never, I didn't hear it till like the mid noughties when I, I used to live with a guy, Dougie Anderson, who uh, does fighting talk a lot. He used to be a <laughs> flatmate in, in London and he, uh, he's from Edinburgh. And he, I think we, we met at Tea in the Park. That's how I knew him. And he, uh, he put this on one night when we had drunk and I just loved it. And I, but genuinely loved it. Not as a kind of novelty record. I've loved it makes, there's something about it. It's so kind of soaring and up, uplifting, isn't and it? Joyous. Yeah. Mm. I, have to, I did once get it played on radio too. And they say, Oh, choose a song when you come on. Uh, and I, I just loved it. Um, and then I was at the theater and I bumped into John Gordon Sinclair and uh, we were chatting away and he was being perfectly, you know, really very nice. And I suddenly said to him, I really like, uh, we have a dream. Uh, and started describing probably what I've just described to you. And, uh, you know, the conversation, not, you know, there was an interval bell rang and we went and sat down. I said, was that, um, I said to my wife, so I was going, was that all right? All right. Uh, all right. Do you think when I was doing that? And she went, uh, he did exactly the face that you do when someone starts talking about Balamori. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He just glazed. He totally glazed. <laughs> Totally glazed. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's all right. That's. But then I actually, then I sat next to it at, at Dougie's wedding, and I said, I, I did mean that. I wasn't being mad. And he, he is. Oh, you must have met him, or has he been on this even? No, yeah. I've not met him. No. Oh man, we should. It's fan fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's so you know all those sort of amazing Bill Forsyth films and, and mm. stuff like that. You know, and he, he is fantastic. Legend. But, but I, I clearly like that song more than anyone's meant to. <laughs> <laughs> Caledonia reminds me of. Do you live in Edinburgh then? Do you yes. Well, I don't. I don't live in Edinburgh now. I've, I was born and raised in Edinburgh. Yeah, I live in near Manchester now. Oh, okay. Where are you, man? You, uh, Bristol. Oh, I see. Oh, you're quite near me. I, I, so Edinburgh, that Caledonia. I heard, first heard that song in you know Greyfriars Bobby Pub. 
mm-hmm. just on um is that George the Fourth Bridge? That one. So when yeah. I was at university there, yeah, yeah. the, the theatre was right near there. And my uh, unusually for a student at Edinburgh, one of the first friends I made was with a Scottish person, uh, with my <laughs> friend George, who's now a member of uh, police. George, George Nisbet. Yeah, yeah. So he used to. I think he. My my wife used to go to school with him in Castorfin. Yes. So yeah, she yeah. she said if you if you get on if you, you won't get onto the subject but say mention George and see if Miles remembers because you guys you had a, you had a duo didn't you, you we used to do a double act together Jack and George yeah. um, in which I'd be the sort of landed gentry and he would come on the sort of ripped tenants lager <laughs> t shirt um, we used to finish on this sort of this sort of rap thing where <laughs> I can't even remember the, the details about hazy but we spent a lot of time. I mean, now he's a very outstanding member of the community. Uh, but we used to spend a lot of time in the, that pub putting on, you know, in the jukebox. The, the idea of, like, actually the music being part of your, your expenses for an evening after those days. Money for money music. The jukebox. Yeah, and we, yeah. He'd put, he would always put Caledonia on. Yeah, George uh-huh. is, is one of my great, great friends. I saw him. Oh, wow. We did, we did the West Highland Way together in 2004. Wow. Uh, which is one of the best things I've done ever i just think and it must be you know that thing with the sort of emotional impact that having that doing something tremendously physical <clears> you know you think of the sort of the muscle fatigue or, or or whatever but actually the how much sort of emotion is wrapped up in those things and that must be sort of part of the intensity of and i'm not talking about high levels what this is <laughs> two men walking 90 miles in six days but I, now every time i think of it it makes me it makes me happy, and we're going to hopefully do it again next year. It'll be twenty years since we've, um, wow, uh, since we did it. And in fact, that before we set off, I sat in a pub in Mulgai and I ordered some flowers to be delivered to the lady that is now my wife. And we're just moving house, and we're sorting out some things. I said, "Why have I got an interflora receipt?" And then I looked at it, and it was February two thousand and four. It was, um, it was having nice. some flowers to her. So that was a. Uh, so perhaps when I get back to Mulgai for our, the for the twenty year revamp, uh, yeah. we're going to have people carry the luggage on to the next B and B this time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did it in, we did it in an Argos Argos tent last time that I bought to go to Glastonbury and was a single Skinner, and which eventually we had to we it froze at King's House, and we woke up and there was some ice all on the inside, and the guy ropes we pulled the pegs out and the guy ropes didn't move at all; they still stayed taut and rigid. <laughs> And like we're trying to, like we're literally trying to sort of jump up and down on it to make. We just had to sort of, we had to fold it into the, the bin in the pub car park. There, it was absolutely disastrous. But yeah, so we'll take it a little bit easier this time because we're uh, we're older and, and wiser. Does that count as sport? Yes, yeah, that, yeah, of course it does. Anything, any activity counts. Yeah. But I'm, actually, in terms of the, talking about the emotional impact of that stuff, I so I did a thing um, for sport relief. I think six or five or six years ago, it was, just, it was one of those documentaries where they get you to do a thing. And I was, we did an endurance event called Tough Guy, uh, which is sort of in Wolverhampton in February. And it's like a sort of early uh, version of Tough Mudder or something, except everything's wooden. And there's a slight sort of military uh, edge to it. It's about, I can't remember, it's a lot of kilometres and about 50 different obstacles. But an obstacle could be, 10 ditches in a row or whatever and we were filmed doing it and it was uh tamika empson from eastenders and les dennis and Susanna constantine and we you know again one of these things where you're just thrown together and it turns out you you know you you, you get on and the whole point about it was was training as a as a team and i, I you know i love being in a, in a team 
and we also just you know and it was about encouraging each other and out we only trained for about 11 months at the end 11 weeks sorry 11 weeks at the end of which we all completed this endurance course and it just felt i thought god if you do sport all the time at a sort of intense level you must mentally you just must feel amazing at some levels but also the kind of oh what just happened aspect of it and the sort of the crowning moment when you've been come through the finishing line and whatever that's the moment that the camera team that's making the documentary is there for they barely got me that bit because i just i sort of felt so kind of delighted to have done it that i felt sort of kind of overcome and i, I just sort of pushed past them and they went can we speak to you and susanna bless her went, just give him some space and i sort of <laughs> went around the corner and had a little cry and by the time i came back i was going yeah it was good yeah it was quite a good time quite pleased with that <laughs> but actually you've just had this amazing sort of surge thing and the satisfaction the the idea that it's being a thing that's taken time mm. it's not like you say oh, i'll turn up and play cricket tomorrow and a ball comes towards you and you catch you know oh, i was lucky it's like a thing that's been in it's the thing that's made you wake up early and and that was just a three-month thing the idea of like being part of an olympic the cycle for the training cycle for an olympic games and that as as you know what that must feel like when that when that comes off and you get to the end of the, the the race and you're like this thing that we've been planning and everything that we've done the all of it it it's 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 got us to here that to me strikes me as a thing that's almost so amazing that it would be quite hard to quite a, to deal with i mean that well, was, that, that really was a big i was emotional a, i was very much a crier when it came to these events i used to my you know you hold all the emotions in the logic you know it's all about being logical and calculating and not letting the, the emotional part of your brain take over in the, in the heat of the battle so you, you box it all away and then when you do cross the line when it is over when you finally can let the emotions out geez it just it, yeah floods of tears and it's i think it's that it's all the moments of doubt it's all the moments of not you're not sure if it's ever going to happen it's not like you're yeah. gonna have to work blooming hard for four years or ten years or whatever it is up to this point and then you get the reward it's like you're going to work for ten years and you might not and it might, you might not get a gold medal. You might not get anything at all to show for it. You might not yeah. even make it to the games. So when it does work yeah. out, yeah, exactly. And it's, it is that moment of disbelief. It's disbelief. It's relief. It's, it's everything. And it, and it rushes in just in such a sudden, overwhelming feeling. It's, it's remarkable. And that, those Metal are the moments you remember. It, yeah. Almost like my favorite bit of sport. It's such yeah. drama to it. And I'm very kind of emotionally sort of, I don't know if it's empathic or just su suggestive or whatever. I can watch, you know, a medal ceremony that I have no, <laughs> I probably don't even know what sport it is, could really easily set me off. I, I, <laughs> I uh, 20, 2012, so we have um, you know, five children, but our, our twin boys were born on, on Super Saturday. Oh and, wow! Um, so you call them Mo, Jess, and Greg? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're all girls, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. We just, you know, it's, it's them. It's, it's important that yeah, yeah. And thank, thank goodness the game. Thank goodness the games has a legacy. Uh, but we, we didn't have problem. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> but we. So we spent loads of time in the sort of maternity unit around them, around around that period. And I, you know, Rachel would be in maybe having a checkup or whatever, and so I'd be sort of waiting, and there was a you know tv in there and um you know the coverage is darting around and i remember just weeping uncontrollably watching catherine granger at the medals uh, probably more than her but there's so much going on because you know like having children is this extraordinary kind of mm. rush to it i hadn't seen the race i just saw her up on you know on, up yeah there, and i just uh, people must have wondered what was going on in me <laughs> easily the most emotional <laughs> 
burst in. Well, it's presumably one of the more, more emotional wards in the hospital anyway. But I, <laughs> yeah. the minute she started to go, I just, I sort of, I, 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 I doubled it. I really, I just, I just went for it. And just people must have, and I was just sitting on my own, you know, the polystyrene cup of water, water <laughs> just out of my mind, just crying wildly. <laughs> and I bumped into her at book events. And I, again, I sort of became uh, sort of starstruck. And I just went, congratulations on your many achievements. Or you know, some of the most really appallingly kind of stilted thing. I think she's fantastic, though. I really, she's I really amazing. like her. She's head of UK sport now, and um, yeah, I couldn't think of someone, anyone better than her to be in charge. But she's, I think, because of this, the, knowing the backdrop to her story and the, the disappointment, you know, that the elation of winning her first silver, then the disappointment of getting a second silver, then the yeah. utter, utter devastation of being beaten again, third time in a row, and then retiring or choosing to retire, and then deciding, no, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to come back got one more yeah. shot in front of a home crowd, the fairy tale ending, and to do it with that it's amazing incredible Incredible. i uh if i'd known the backstory at the time and i didn't at the time if i'd known the backstory i I really i really wouldn't have been able to but also through it she was doing i went in cold she was doing a phd in homicide and interviewing some of the worst criminals in britain like she's got an unbelievable mind and absolutely fascinating Mm. if she talks about that because it was incredible yeah she's a very talented person yeah quite 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 brilliant Um, now I know we joked at the start this was three hours long, but it could very oh, easily. It's, 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 we, we've we've taken so shall we? Shall we start recording it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. On? Anyway, yeah, yeah. Let's get anyway, going. Is that good for levels? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this would be very easy to keep on talking because it's been a fantastic um, hour plus. So so thank you for joining us. But um, um, it's very nice to meet you both. Uh, yeah, likewise. Likewise. Um, thank you so super. much. I hope. Do you edit it or do you just wang the whole thing out? No, thankfully we've got someone who's more professional than we are. Um, yeah, make us sound better than we are. It's not difficult. Do like, Craig and do the proclaimers listen? I would be more. They're big fans. They're massive fans. Craig certainly oh. is. Yeah. I love. I love. Who, was it? I can't remember who it was. Was it Jimmy Carr? One of the stand-ups talking about saying someone saying, "Oh, you look like one of the proclaimers," and he's like, "Well, surely I look like." Both of the proclaimers. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Frank, them, Frankie, no, would it? Yeah, yeah. The Frank, yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to go, "Hi, proclaimers!" All the time. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, uh, thanks so much, guys. I hope that was the, the really appreciate it. Perfect. Lovely to meet you. Take thanks, care. Miles. Bye. 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 Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.